Good evening and welcome to a Saturday evening, February the 4th edition of the Christian Underground News Network. I'm your host, Kurt Chamberlain, along with your our regular Saturday evening guest um, and Christian author, uh, Lucas Doremus. And uh, if you were with us last month uh, for Lucas's session, then you'll know that we are concentrating, or he's concentrating, on um, the corruption of pre-fall foundations, things as they were before sin entered into the world in the Garden of Eden. Um, and last month we talked about language. Tonight we're going to talk about, well, how can I put this, Lucas? Um, how about this? <laughs> <laughs> well, not that specifically, sort of. <laughs> well, we're we're going to talk about what time, right? The, we're going to talk about time, oh, and time. Uh, and uh, you know, evolution is really the theory that's corrupted time, and uh, t time is one of the pillars of evolution. Mm -hmm. You know, if you really want to get down deep, you know, they go into the species changing and. And this sort of thing, but you know, if you take away time, the yeah. entire theory falls apart. Now, the other pillar of the theory, we're going to talk about it later, is the flood. Yeah. You take away the flood and time, and evolution has nothing to stand on. Absolutely and, nothing. And, and so, if you take away an earth, if the earth is uh, young, and if the flood happened, and evolution can't be true, but we're going to talk about that because okay, sounds great. You know, and as, as Curtis introed, and we said this last, uh, and we said this last time, these are pre-fall foundations. These are things, uh, if you want to call them doctrines, uh, ideas, uh, you know, whatever you want to call them, that happened before Adam sinned. And That's so, right. last time uh, we got through one word because we stopped and talked about language for an hour and how fundamental languages and that God created language and all those things. And so this, we're not, we're probably not really going to read, you know, straight through Genesis one and two. That's really not what we're doing, but we're picking out all these concepts, ideas, doctrines, and uh, we're going to teach on them and then talk about how they've been corrupted. So we'll get through three words this time. Uh, you know, this is Genesis one, one in the beginning. Well, uh, if there's a beginning, that means time had to start at the beginning of something. Yes. Um, and so, and if we also know that God is eternal. Now, one of the things we, uh, this will probably be two months from now, we're going to talk about how, do you, you ever notice the Bible doesn't spend a lot of time proving that God exists? Um. Uh not yet. You're right. It, it doesn't spend a lot of uh, focused time on that. Uh, mm -hmm. It almost is if, I mean, you and I have been studying scripture for a long time. Um, it's almost as if, I mean, yeah, God knew that there wouldn't be a reason to focus on it because his fingerprints are all over it. And it's up to us to find the fingerprints. Yeah, it's it's assumed. It is assumed that God exists yeah, um, and all those things. So I, I, you know, when you think about it, God doesn't spend the time. Well, 
here's how eternity works versus here's how time works and here's what happened before you were the anything was he doesn't do anything like that right right he assumes it's just been created uh yeah. but hey that's in that's in a couple a couple months down the road but we're going to talk about the beginning now uh if you turn over to genesis 2 verse 1 it says thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished mm -hmm. so not only do we have a beginning but we also have a finishing of creation all right now we've got 66 books where it tells us beginning to end what's going to happen in our time that's right and then and then we know eternity beyond our time is going to happen Exactly. <laughs> you know, and it's sort of it's sort of mind boggling uh, our, when you think about concept, it. Our concept of time is strictly linear. Mm -hmm. uh, for for us human beings, strictly a, a linear concept of time. Uh, mm -hmm. You learned about it in in math class. They they showed you the ray, a straight line with two arrows at the end. There's a beginning. And a linear end. That's our mm -hmm. concept of time. Um, mm -hmm. However, you're going to get, I'm sure you're probably going to get into uh, why that is, maybe. Uh, I, I don't know where exactly you're going to go with this. but Well, I'm going to, you know, you could, we could probably spend a lot of time talking about eternity and yes. God's eternality um, <laughs> because I'm focusing on Genesis. We know God's eternal, but Genesis doesn't really spend a lot of time on that. But it is an account of the beginning. Yeah. And so that's that's what we're going to spend our time on is the idea that uh, the world, the entire universe, was created in six 24-hour days. Mm -hmm. And we're going to study why that has to be the case. Now... If you go to uh, Genesis 1, verses 5, mm -hmm. uh, God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And we're going to, that, that'll be another one too. But anyway, it says, so the evening and the morning were the first day. Now we're right. going to break this apart. So the evening and morning. Now, the Bible or the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew. Correct. And the language of Hebrew does this idea a lot it'll say the evening and morning or sometimes it might say when i rise up and when i lay down mm -hmm. uh and it's this phrase this idea that it's the entirety of a thing uh turn to psalm 139 now there's a whole lot of psalms that use that type of expression um right. i picked one i picked one this one out just because it kind of makes the point more than once that uh, you could have picked out any example because the phraseology is what we care about. Psalm 139, verse 1, it says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting up and my sitting down and my rising up. That's the same type of phrase. My mm -hmm. sitting down and my rising up. It's the entirety of my day, the whole mm -hmm. thing. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. That's kind of a way to say, you comprehend when I'm moving and when I'm not moving. Yeah. And right. that's a way That's a way to say everything that humans do, because either you're moving or you're not moving. Yeah, <laughs> regardless, it's all, it's all what you're doing in linear time. 
Mm -hmm. uh, let's see. And are acquainted with all my ways. Now, yeah. if it wasn't clear enough, my path and my lying down, my moving and my not moving, he clarifies it in this Hebrew parallelism. You er, are acquainted with all my ways. That's right. Uh, verse four, for there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Right. You have hedged me behind and before. Same phrase, before or behind and before, all of it. Mm -hmm. And laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Now, that word wonderful in there, it means incomprehensible. And not only does that is that what that Hebrew word means, but the context, such knowledge is too high for me, meaning I can't understand it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know everything from beginning to end. Um, and so not only does God know everything, which is kind of what this psalm is saying, but this phrase, again, sitting down, rising up, my path and my lying down, uh, behind and before. It's this phraseology of saying the entirety of a thing. So when you turn back to Genesis and you see this evening and morning, well, there's really only one thing that has an evening in the morning, and that's a day. A day. So the phraseology, this evening and morning, means the entirety of a day. Correct. Now, what is crazy to me, and the one other reason I picked out Psalm 139, because it talks about how we can't comprehend things. Uh -huh. The sun does not get created until day four. That's right. So does that mean, and I don't know this for sure, does that mean that there was the earth rotation on day one? Because you don't really need the sun to have a day. You need the Earth's rotation to have a day. Right. So does that mean it was rotated? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Such, <laughs> such things are incomprehensible. That's right. And we talked a little last time about how the Earth being without form and void and darkness. We don't, we don't really understand what that means. Like we can't, we weren't there to see it. Right. So it's, it's, it's kind of hard to know it exactly what that's talking about. But apparently the water that was the universe at that time rotated in a 24 hour period. Yeah. I, I get, can I totally explain it? No, but that's apparently what happens. That's exactly right. Now, what I love this next part, um, and I have to cross this out in my Bible. Um, and I think just about every translation does this. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Now, if you look at the Hebrew, it actually says day one. Right. It doesn't say first day. Now, why do English translators do that? Right. Well, be, because it makes more sense because you have a second day and a third day and a fourth. Well, obviously, that's the first day. Right. But let's, but let's think about how accurate the Bible here is. You're at the beginning of time. You only have one day, which means the second day doesn't exist yet that's right so being a first of something is only first because it's comparative to something else agreed so actually the bible is amazingly accurate in terms of time to say day one instead of first day yeah, yeah. and i don't know that amazes me that humans if we would have wrote this we would have said first day Sure. 
And if it really said first day, some really smart philosopher out there would have pointed out first day and time didn't this and that. That's right. But God, God is so amazingly accurate and smarter than us, by the way. Day one. So I have written in my Bible, day one, not first day. Because our concept of time is only linear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so and so I just I just think that's so cool when I when I learned that. Okay, now you could say out there, you could say, now wait a minute, day could mean different things. And you're right. I could use it in a sentence. I could say the other day I Mm -hmm. Or Curtis, maybe, you know, <laughs> you could say back in my day mm -hmm. and we wouldn't mean a 24 hour period. And by the way, the Hebrew language does that also a lot. So, uh, yeah, it does a lot. But context always determines meaning. Correct. So, scripture goes, yes. Yep. And so you have we have two qualifiers here that tell us it doesn't mean either a span of time mm -hmm. or just a general term for, you know, some day ago. Right. Eve, evening and morning. Yeah. You would never say back in the evening and morning of my day. Yeah. That, that doesn't make any sense. And you've also got the first day as in a number or day one, and then you got second day, third day. So you've got this qualifier, these two qualifiers, evening and morning, and mm -hmm. a number to go along with them, mm -hmm. because it wouldn't ever make sense for me to say back in the evening and morning of my second day. Yeah. That phrase, you know, if I'm talking about my childhood, that phrase doesn't make any sense. Right. And so this word day with those qualifiers has to mean 24 hours. Yeah. It, yeah. it has to. Uh, now, to go beyond that, context, again, determines meaning. Now, we can look at the style of literature. You know, if you read Psalms, like we just read in Psalm 139, Curtis, it reads very differently than, say, Genesis. Yes, it does. Because it's a different type of literature. Right, right. Now, and, and you can actually, if you read, say, Shakespeare or something, you will notice that when you're writing, say, poetry, the order of the words are changed. You have the verb, noun, structure, and those sorts of things. And poetry is very different. That's but in historical, normal narrative, it's a certain way. And if you look at how this first chapter of Genesis is written, there's nothing poetic, you know, anything about it. It's historical. Yeah. It's a narrative about what happened, and so there's no reason to interpret it any other way than evening and morning. A day. Right. right. Mm -hmm. um, now you ask yourself, okay, well, why did God create it in six days? And you can almost also say, well, wait a minute, why did it God? Why did it take God so long? Yeah, I mean. I mean, you think about it, well, God, you know, we think about creation, we think, well, it had to have taken a long time. Well, but I could come back and say, well, but why did it even take six days? God created everything just by speaking it, mm -hmm. and it was instantly there. Why can't, why didn't he just create it in an instant? Well, uh, that's a good question. My answer mm -hmm. is because I don't understand why he did it completely un understand why he did it that way would be because he wanted to 
uh, signify that it was complete and perfect. So he created it in six and knew he would rest on a seven. Mm -hmm. Turn to Exodus 20. <laughs> and yeah, 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 you know, you know where I'm going. I and yeah, I, I agree with you, Curtis. I don't know all the reasons he created it in six days. All right. But I can tell you, I think you were hinting on numerology, weren't you? Because seven is the number well, of completion. Yes. You yes. were going there? Okay. I was. So in Exodus chapter 20, that mm -hmm. is the Ten Commandments. Right. And in the Ten Commandments, we have this commandment about the Sabbath. That's so right. in Exodus 20, verse 8, it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six mm -hmm. days you shall work, labor, you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. Now, before we go, you notice how in this verse there's no question about what the word day means? No, there's there isn't. It's assumed. Yeah, nobody, nobody I know reads this and thinks that each day is, you know, a million years or something. Nobody reads that. Right. So why do, why do we do it? This is a historical literature account. Anyway, I'm going to talk about that. This is kind of the point we're making. In it, you shall not shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Right. So do I know every reason he did it? No, but one of them is to give us a model. That's right. Uh, therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Uh, God created us to work six days and rest on the seventh. Yeah. Now, uh, we're, we don't need to be legalistic about it like the Pharisees were. Right. Um, by the way, we're not in the church. We're in the church, not Israel. So we don't have to abide by the Sabbath law. But I will tell you, since this happened before the fall even happened, mm. there's a principle of rest that we should abide by. Absolutely. <laughs> and if your day of rest isn't Saturday, you know, I know a lot of pastors, their day of rest is Monday because they work on Sunday. That's right. And, you know, Curtis, it, as we're talking about, it just cracks me up when uh when people say well you know you shouldn't work on the sabbath and i think and i always want to go you know the sabbath is saturday not sunday right yeah that's right <laughs> and people don't realize because in the jewish calendar sabbath was sunday that's right we celebrate we have church on sunday typically to celebrate jesus raising from the dead on sunday right so anyway it had to be six 24-hour days and a seventh day of rest, or the Sabbath day and the Ten Commandments would make no sense. <laughs> Correct. I agree. So I I hope for anybody out there that's questioning things, I hope that gives a good biblical basis for why it has to be six days and one day of rest. Now, I, we're actually going to keep going, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah no, I, I was just going to agree with you. I think that is a great basis for it. Yeah. Because... Most people that struggle with it are probably going to say, but what about the science? And some people will say, well, this certain thing. We're going to talk about that. Yes, we are. Now, the, the other thing I want to point out is just like in the, uh, the Sabbath on the, in the week for the Ten Commandments, that means there can't be any gaps in our timeline. 
Correct. Now, uh, so uh, when I was preparing for this, um, you know, there's various gap theories. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe there are gaps between days, maybe this and that. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the popular theories is there's a gap between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Right. And when people say that, they kind of bring in this, this story about Satan having the planet and, and it falling and there kind of being this other race. Um, and, and I'm not making light of that, but I will say there, there's really no biblical evidence for that. None. Um, there just isn't. But they turn to a verse in Isaiah. So go to Isaiah, I believe it's 45. Uh, uh, Isaiah 45. I'm looking at my notes. I've got, oh, I've got, oh my goodness, my computer. 45, 18, and 19. Yep, there it is. Yeah. Yeah. So they turn to this verse, and we're going to talk about it. And again, this comes in this style of literature. So this chapter 45. At the beginning of the chapter, God is calling Cyrus, the king of Persia, who, by the way, was not even born yet. God's calling him by name and talking about what he's going to do mm -hmm. and using Cyrus as his servant. Now, mm -hmm. basically, when he uh, gets down to kind of our section, God is saying, God's just said, you know, Cyrus is going to do all this. I'm going to raise him up to punish Israel. And then like in verse 15 uh, of chapter 45, truly you are God who hide yourself, O God of Israel, the Savior. And so God starts saying, yeah, this is stuff's going to happen, but I'm going to save you out of it because I'm still the Savior. Right. So that's our surrounding context. So let's start in verse 18. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did not create it in vain who formed it to be inhabited, I am the Lord and there is no other. And what people would say, they would say, well, it says the Lord did not create it in vain. And in Genesis 1-2, it says the earth was without form and void. And that's mm -hmm. the same word. Right. And so there can't be a contradiction. So that's why we, they say, well, it wasn't created in vain. But then something happens. So then when God created the earth and us, then it wasn't, then it wasn't vain. Mm -hmm. um, but I think what, uh, what is going on here is Isaiah, well, God talking, Isaiah writing it down. Um, he's using Hebrew parallelism. And what mm -hmm. that means is you have a line or a statement and then another statement right after it, that they're kind of talking about the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so when he says, who, cre who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, those are all parallel things talking about what God did. Right. When you get to who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited, mm -hmm. what he's saying here is, I didn't create it to be empty, I made it to be inhabited. Right. He's, he's not talking about the quality of the original uh, creation that Genesis 1-2 is talking about. Mm -hmm. He's talking about this creation I did not make to be in empty without people, without animals, without plants. Mm -hmm. I created it to have things in it. That's mm -hmm. all he's saying. He's not making a comment on the original state of the creation. Okay. And so that's where I'm that's why I don't I don't think the gap theory is right. I don't think there's there the gap between Genesis 1 and 2, 
Um, and I don't think you can fit gaps in between each day. Genesis just doesn't no. read that way. No, no, it really doesn't. Uh, I, I too do not get lend the gap theory any credence whatsoever. Um, you know, it's an interesting read for, you know, those that do uh, kind of espouse that. It's an interesting read. Uh, but you know, in context, it can't be, it can't, you can't lend it any credence whatsoever, really. Not if you're mm -hmm. taking the Bible literally and in context. The gap theory doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I just, I, I agree. Um, and there's good people that believe it. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I'm not going to down their teaching or anything. I just, I just think they're off on that one, you know. I, I, I tend to agree with that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, okay, now we're going to get to one of the things that I struggled with for a long time. Um, I, at one time, thought that I could make uh, Genesis be six days and not six days at the same time. Uh, there's a theory out there that uh, is the theory of relativity. Right. Um, and I'm not going to pretend to think that I understand it. But one thing I do know that it says is that depending on the gravity, the mass you're around, time right. passes slower or faster. And, well, and that, that actually that has been proven easily uh, with the atomic clock. But, uh, you know, it, time does speed up and slow down mm -hmm. in, in certain conditions. Yeah. Yep. And if anybody wants to research it, just look up the GPS satellites. Absolutely. And you'll find out that the clocks on the satellites run slightly, I, I forget which way it is, I think slower. No, they run faster than it does here on Earth, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. And yeah. so, yeah, so that theory is real. And so there's a theory out there that says, well, God created it in six days. But if you think about it in terms of relativity and gravity in this time, it was actually also 14 billion years. And I will tell you, at one time, I believed that because the idea is you look out into the uh, stars and to the universe and you do some math and you get that number. And so you try to make the Bible and uh, the Bible and science fit. Right. Let's talk about that. So the stars, the universe. The expanding mm -hmm. universe, the largeness of it, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, the stars are, um, I, the last time when I was studying this, this is about, and I was listening, doing some research and listening to some guys. I heard a guy make this point. I can't remember his name, but turn to Genesis 1, 16. It says, then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. That would be the sun and the moon. He made the stars also. Now. That sentence right there, he made the stars also, is two words in Hebrew. And out of those two words, one is a preposition, which isn't even translated into English. Mm -hmm. So really, the whole of the universe outside of the Earth, Sun, and Moon yeah. is one word in the yeah. entire two chapters. Yep. And so the point I'm making here is... God is not emphasizing the entire universe, even though now we have telescopes and all these wonderful things. Right. It's almost a footnote. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, yeah, 
and I did the rest of the universe. Mm -hmm. All the beautiful nebulas and supernovas and black holes and galaxies and blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah, uh -huh. I made that too. It's yeah. not even emphasized. So it's interesting to me. We're, we haven't started the corruption part of what we're talking about. It's interesting to me that what is almost a footnote is the biggest stumbling block for many, many people. It is. And it was for me. And so if, if you're out there and that's your stumbling block, I get it. I was there. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> and so now here's the other thing I was listening to a great preacher named Andy Woods, and he actually is doing a series on Genesis. And I went back and listened to his stuff. He made the point that, you know, did God make other things in nature or in his creation mature? Here's the easy example. Was Adam an adult or a fetus when he was created? <laughs> well, uh, it's assumed that he was a man because we all know that biologically you have to be of a certain age to begin procreating. Exactly. He called them to procreate, which means he has to at least have been past puberty. He right. also was naming animals and talking, which means he has to be at least old enough to talk. Sure. And so God made Adam mature. Now, here's another question. Let's take chickens. Did God make chickens or did he make eggs that hatched into chickens? <laughs> he made chickens. Yeah, chickens came first. There's the answer because God made them. So if God created these other things mature, mm -hmm. why not the starlight? Right. Why, couldn't he, why couldn't he have made the universe mature just like he made Adam mature? It, it it really logically it really makes a lot of sense and i and again up until a couple months ago no one ever pointed that out to me mm -hmm. and so that really biblically solved a lot of things like oh yeah yeah of course adam was mature why not the starlight is mature right now um we i think we made this point last time so up until day four it seems like all that basically exists is the earth as right. in now, it does say that, you know, in, in chapter two, in, uh, on the second day, he separated the waters from the waters and the firmament was called heaven. Mm -hmm. So we don't know if that meant just the atmosphere or beyond the atmosphere. We don't really know. Mm -hmm. um, it seems to be that until day four, the creation was very small. Uh, yes. It, 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 now, I can't prove that. No. Uh, it, it, we can't. We cannot prove that. It just sort of seems to be. So up until day four, that's when he made it bigger. Now, I'll also encourage you, if you're interested, do a study on the phrase stretched out the heavens. Oh, yeah. You'll find that God makes a point of him when he's talking about creation that he stretched out the heavens. Mm -hmm. I've heard uh, mathematicians analyze that mm -hmm. in a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, all I know is that it seems like up until day four, it was small. And then God went and stretched it all out and created the rest of the universe on day four. Right. Agreed. Yep. Now the other thing, and we're, we're about to get into some of the science and things like that. But, uh, at the end of the day, I used to, I had, uh, when I, when I taught at the Christian school, I taught at, I had students that would believe in evolution sure. and I had a couple that were pretty staunch about it. And I used to argue with them and try to bring up facts and they would bring up facts and this and that. And, you know, 
eventually I realized, hold on, the sun was created on day four. The earth was created on day one. Right. No matter what old universe theory you believe in, the Big Bang version one, two, three, four, or whatever version we're on, uh, every single one, the sun comes first. Right. So without getting into science and facts and this and that, which one are you going to believe? Science that says the sun came first or the Bible, which says the earth came first? Yeah. It, it's a choice of faith, not of facts. Right. <laughs> which means, oh, you mean old earth is a faith? Yes, yes it is. Yes, it is. Yep. Because uh, nobody was there at the beginning. <laughs> right. And, uh, but by the way, on the same note, oh. yes, primarily it is a matter of faith. Uh, but modern science, which constantly seeks to replace God and his word as the ultimate source of authority, uh, continues to uh, bolster uh, the faith side with, with yes. the fact that it produces. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they, they don't intend to do that. In fact, they intend to do just the opposite, but it never really quite works out that way. Yes. Um, so that is a good segue to one of my points we were going to bring up about corruption. Um, yeah. So we'll start talking about corruption. And again, we're talking about old earth. Um, is it old earth or old universe, big bang, evolution, mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it. Um, mm -hmm. We we watch a lot of documentaries um, and we read books with the kids and they're interested in science and all that. You know what's very interesting to me, Curtis, is with just within the last few years, more and more articles that are talking about fossils or geology moving, uh, anything in that sort of area, you know what they're starting to admit more readily? <laughs> they're starting to say things like, there must have been a flood in this area or... Yeah. Oh, this really? mu this must have been submerged for some Absolutely. thing. It must have been buried with water quickly and then mud. Now, I find it very interesting that science is starting to admit that a flood of water creates the conditions for all the things they study. It, it, they, they have really, they have no choice. Mm-hmm. It's become too obvious. It has. Mm -hmm. Now, are they ever going to say, well, this evidently this agrees with the flood, you know, uh, mm -hmm. and in the black. Well, they're not going to say that. Mm -hmm. They're not going to come out ever and say that. Yep. But they don't have to. Mm -hmm. Their own admissions kind of, you know, it, it kind of pins them against the wall on their own. They don't they don't need any help. Yeah, it's it's interesting how every single part of the world has a large local flood that yeah. does what they think. Why wouldn't it just be global? Uh, yeah, why wouldn't you know? it? Uh, you know, what I find <laughs> to to keep going with the secularists, um, and this is when I say secularists, I just mean anybody that doesn't believe the Bible. And obviously they don't all believe the same thing. Because what I'm right. about to believe, what's interesting, you know, the alien guys... <laughs> They tend to believe in a global flood because of all the flood legends across the world. Absolutely. So isn't it interesting how we've got secular science 
in two vastly different areas, one disagreeing violently, but still having to affirm it, and sure. the other side going, well, we don't think it was God, but yeah, there was a flood, sure. It's yeah. just interesting, isn't it? It is. And so, and, and with the alien guys, you know, their their dates, they don't believe in a young Earth. Right. And so their dates are all goofy. And I would encourage anybody, the, the dating column that they use to date things, um, it's, I don't know how else, to, I'm not trying to be sarcastic or mean or anything. It's literally made up. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's it, a fabrication. In the early 1800s, they they just made up a column in how many years, and and if you do research into the dating methods, they date the methods by and they when they get a date, they go to the column. Or if yeah. they're not sure what the date is, they look at the column and then that tells them what to date it at. It's a, it's a circular argument. They look at the column for the date and the dating method. I don't know how else to explain it. It's made up. It's not science. It's convenience. Mm -hmm. That's what they need for theory is convenience. Yep, because when you ask, well, what about the trees that are upside down yeah. through many multiple layers of strata that supposedly took millions and millions of years? So that tree was upside down for millions and millions of years and fossilized? You know, it just... Doesn't make no much sense. Mm -hmm. And so just, you know... Don't and we're gonna. This is gonna be one of our points. Don't believe science just because it's science. You know, do your own research. Uh, and here's what they're. We talked about the pillars of an old Earth low flood. Here's what they also have to assume as being true. They have they they have to assume two things. They have to assume a constant rate of change, mm -hmm. which means things are constant, and they have to assume that laws are perpetual. Right. And I'll give you, this is the best, ex I did not come up with this, but it's the best example I heard. If I'm changing the oil in my car, which by the way, for anybody that doesn't know how to change oil in the car, it's a little thing under your car and you unscrew it and it, the oil starts to dump out. Well, you know, what happens that, I'm saying that because not a lot of people change their own oil anymore, Curtis, you're looking at me funny, but that's why I say that. I usually don't even change my oil anymore, but I have plenty of times. So... When you, when you unscrew that screw, the oil starts dumping out at a very quick rate. And then what happens at the end when it's getting starting to get empty? It starts to drip. It does. Okay, so let's say I'm changing my oil. I get that screw out. It starts pouring out. And then I go inside and get a drink. And you come along and observe under my car the oil. Okay. Now, if you assumed what the scientists do, constant rate of change and the laws are perpetual, you would assume, oh, it's always dripped at this rate, at this rate, and it's never changed from dripping at this rate either. Right. Righty? So then, you as a scientist, what you could do is you can measure the rate and how fast that oil is dripping out of the pan, measure the size of my oil can, or you know whatever that's called under the car, and you could do the math and say, it took this long for the oil to drip out of the car. Okay. And would that be correct? Um, no. <laughs> it would be terribly, horribly wrong. <laughs> Obviously, it would not be correct. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what happens when they're measuring the age of the universe. Yeah. 
they look at starlight and they say starlight star or light goes this fast mm -hmm. which means if we start to compress things or move them back together since the universe is expanding by the way we have to assume that light has always traveled at that rate right and if you do the math you get roughly 14 billion years for the age of the universe right and that's exactly how they do it yeah now What's interesting is their theories don't work quite right. And so they have to uh, start doing things like if you've have you've heard of the expansion theory. Of course. The, sorry, I'm sorry. No, it's the inflation theory where, yes. you know, the universe exploded out of nothing and exploded like really, really fast. And then it slowed down. Yeah. And we don't know why. Well, the reason they're doing that is because their equations don't work. That's right. Uh, yeah. And that's exactly what's happened. Now, let's do two things about that. First of all, we cannot assume that light has always traveled at the same rate. Here's why we can't. Did you know that we've actually slowed the speed of light down? Yes, we have. To at least the article I read, which this was, to the article I found was about 20 years ago. So I think they slowed it down even farther. It was like 35 miles per hour or something like that. Yeah. And and the way they did it is it's some like really dense salt solution, mm -hmm. you know, and they and they shoot light through it and they can measure the speed and they can slow it down. Now, it's an easy jump for me to think, well, if humans can modulate, change the speed of light, certainly the creator could. Absolutely. Which means, again, we talked about where I think he just made the starlight mature. But if you can't make that jump, well, the creator is certainly capable of making light move faster than the laws we observe now. Of course. And maybe it, when he says stretch out the heavens, maybe he did. I mean, again, I I can't say for certain. Well, I, as a side note to this, uh, for our listeners, if you really want an in-depth study of what we're talking about, this particular subject, Chuck Missler uh, did a great uh, study on the law of thermodynamics and how it relates to what the universe is actually doing. Uh, and, and basically, he proves beyond a shadow of a doubt, just using the law of thermodynamics, that the way modern science explains it to us is that the universe is becoming more uniform. It started out of chaos, you know, the Big Bang. Mm -hmm as becoming more uniform is exactly the opposite of what what what's actually happened at, at the moment of creation it was created in complete and total uniformity to god's specifications and it is currently degrading into mm -hmm. chaos so uh, yeah. just a side note if you're ever interested in that look it up on youtube chuck missler the law yeah. of thermodynamics. Well, and to, to further that exact idea of, you know, order into chaos, mm -hmm. which is what thermodynamics say, which is what they're saying the opposite, that it was chaos and became more orderly. Right, right. Um, we haven't talked about, you know, the species changing and, you know, evolution, animals turning into other animals because we're focusing on time. But that theory is saying the exact same thing. It is, yes. That it's chaos, and actually your you know, DNA, atoms, whatever you want to call it, are actually becoming more orderly. 
Now, the big logical problem without going into this to the science of why that can't happen is that what you're saying is if if apes turned into monkeys or <laughs> that was said wrong if apes turned into humans excuse me right what you're actually saying is that genetic information somehow got added into an ape's cell in order to eventually make a human yeah so logically where did that information come from Exactly. Because yeah. you can prove very easily every time a species reproduces, every generation sorts and loses information. Absolutely. It never gains information, and you're saying never. it has to. So it's that second law of thermodynamics just applied to species. Yeah. So anyway, there you go. Now, so let's keep going on the time thing, thermodynamics and all that. So when they can't get their equations to work, they added something. They mm -hmm. added something called dark matter and dark energy. And if you watch a documentary about that, it sounds very, very good. Everybody sounds like they really know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. here's, here's the problem. They will say openly dark matter can't be observed and it can't be interacted with. That means, by definition, it's not science, because science is observable and testable. That's right. So it's very interesting that when you have equations and all this math, you can't get them to work. You create, a, essentially, a fudge factor. That's right. The, the famous Einstein dividing by zero because he wanted his equation to work. Sure. <laughs> Dark matter is a fudge factor. Yeah. Um, and, and that's very... that. When I first heard somebody say that to me, I started doing research because I had been watching documentaries and how smart it sounds about dark matter and all this. It, it is. It's true. It's a fudge factor. Anybody that wants deeper research into this, uh, you need to look up. It's called Carmelian Physics. Yes. And this Dr. Carmeli, I'm, the, his first name is escaping me. He basically took time, space, and matter. Yeah. Or, or excuse me, he added the three dimensions, um, you know, height, width, and depth, and added space to it, the fourth dimension, and how the universe is expanding. And if you use this guy's equations on the whole of the universe, yeah. he gets it to work without dark matter, no dark energy, no fudge factor, yeah, and it works just fine. Yeah. So again, I would encourage people, I have looked it up. <laughs> I get it at a very basic level. I am not smart enough to know how he figured this out. But again, this is just more things proving. The Bible's perfectly accurate. Oh, absolutely. And, and no matter how smart the scientists sound, it, the Bible's still accurate. Well, you know, you're right. You're right. And, and you know, science, of course, doesn't it amaze you, uh, Lucas, that... Uh, yeah, well, we keep discovering new things. Yeah. Well, we discovered antimatter, mm -hmm. and and now there's dark matter. Uh, I guess what's going to be next is they're going to discover doesn't matter, which which has no effect <laughs> on the universe at all. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> I haven't heard that one. That's a good one. I'll have to Sorry, yeah. And, you know, with with these really 
again, these are very smart people that believe this, these things. Oh, sure. I, I think they've been deceived. I don't think they're stupid. At no, all. I don't I think they're stupid either. I think they've been deceived into a way of thinking that is wrong and they're just carrying it out, which is exactly why we're doing this podcast. Right. And I don't mean mine, this series specifically. I mean, all of it. We want to bring people into the truth. Uh, now, we have not mentioned this guy's name, <laughs> um, but it is the name of Charles Darwin. Oh, now, boy. Um, Charles Darwin did not come up with the idea that the earth is old. Uh, he, was, he was not the first one, but he is certainly the most famous mm -hmm. uh, to take that idea and apply it to life. Now, first of all, uh, Charles Darwin was not a scientist. No. He, was what's, he was what's called a naturalist. Yes. And what that is, is you observe things. And you mm -hmm. make conclusions on that. Yeah. Based now, on that, you observe in, the in their natural habitat, in their natural yep. state. Yep. And naturalists make a lot of really good observations, and they're studied and all that. So sure. Charles Darwin was a naturalist. He was not a scientist. Mm -hmm. um, and so Charles Darwin applied the idea of time, and he applied it to species um, and how they change over time. Now, his most famous book is called The Origin of Species. Now, I have a copy right here in front of me uh, because I picked it up at Goodwill one time and I decided to read it. I decided, you know, how did this all start? Yeah. Now, yeah. I know this is sort of a well-traveled uh, thing, but, you know, Origin of Species is not the full title of the book. Um. The full title is Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection, Preservations of the Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. <laughs> favored races, uh -huh. which means the race there are races that are favored and races that are not favored. By whom? Exactly. By whom? That's a very important question. It now, is. Biblically, we all came from Noah and then from Adam before that. Mm. There's no favored races. Mm. Now, not at that point. No. Yep. God has a chosen nation. Yes, he does. But, you know, even in the Old Testament, God was always willing to save anybody that came. Take, for example, Ruth. That's right. Take Jonah's missionary journey to Assyria, which, by the way, from all accounts, Jonah seemed to be about the only uh, successful prophet in the entire Old Testament. Uh, those yeah. are Gentiles. Yeah. Take take Rahab. Start. You go down the line. God yeah. has a chosen nation of Israel, but Gentiles were always welcome. They can be saved. Now sure. we're in the church today, where it is even more clear that God does not have a favored race. Right. But anyway, um, Darwin spent a lot of time in his book observing things and then coming up with theories. Now, I know, Curtis, we talked about this. You spent time reading his book, uh, and I've read his book. <laughs> yeah, and, many years. Uh, yeah, and I find it very interesting. For those of you that haven't read, Darwin actually spent two chapters in his book explaining why you couldn't find evidence for his theory. Do you remember yeah. that? Yes, I do. He made it a very astute observation, which, by the way, this is correct. He said that the Earth's terrain changes enough over time 
that you aren't going to find the things he says he's going to look for. Right. Uh, and there's some truth to that. And he's, and again, he spent, so it's interesting that he hold, wrote a whole book on his theory, also spent time saying there's no evidence for his theory because uh, you couldn't find it. And he actually says, even if you found the quote missing link, mm -hmm. you wouldn't know, you wouldn't even know it's a missing link. Yeah. You'd have no way to know. That's right. And, and so th these are some of the admissions of the guy that started the whole, you know, uh, natural selection, evolution. Those are technically two different theories, although they work together. So, uh, but Darwin was really big into the old earth thing. He said repeatedly, you know, now that the earth is assumed to be old, you know, we have possibilities. So I'm going to read some quotes here. Uh, this is the last sentence of his last chapter in his book before he starts his conclusion. And uh, it's very interesting. Uh, they're very, really long. You know, when he was writing, they wrote each paragraph is like a whole sentence. So excuse, sure. you know, we don't talk like that anymore. So excuse the long uh, language. But anyway, he says, yeah, finally, the several classes of facts which have been considered in this chapter seem to me to proclaim so plainly that the innumerable species, genera and families of organic beings with, with which the world is peopled have all descended, each within its own class or group, from common parents, and all have been modified in the course of descent. Okay, there's a summary kind of of his theory. Mm -hmm. That I should, without hesitation, adopt this view, even if it were unsupported by other facts or arguments. All right. What Darwin just said is, even if there's evidence that proves my theory's not true, I'm still going to believe it. Yeah. Darwin was not open-minded. No, he was not. And we'll just put it that way. And, you know, to go on with this open-mindedness, it's interesting. He's not open-minded, but during his conclusion, he says this. It is so easy to hide our ignorance under such expressions as the plan of creation, unity of design, etc., and to think that we give an explanation when we only restate a fact. Um, and I'm sure you remember Darwin makes several derogatory comments to anybody that believed in creation. Yes. He was not presenting a theory. He was attacking another theory and presenting his own. And one would have to wonder why he would do that when uh, he started out as a seminary student. Hmm. Yep. Interesting. Well, if you, if you read a little bit of his own biography, which I have, uh, you you figure out really quickly why he dropped out of seminary and why he would have an axe to grind with the Creator. Yeah, and that's go ahead. Why, well, oh, okay. I'm not. Okay. I'm not going to. That's a whole other. We don't want to get into the whole lot of that right now. Oh, okay, you got it. Would it. take a lot of time, but but if you're interested in knowing why a guy who was a seminary student would end up being the biggest atheist ever ever lived uh you need to read more about who he was and mm -hmm. and uh, figure out why he he changed his mind mm -hmm. uh all right yeah let's keep going on the fact or the quote here okay anyone whose disposition leads him to attach more weight to unexplained difficulties that <laughs> means creation 
then yeah. to the explanation of certain number of facts will certainly reject my theory. Yeah. A few naturalists endowed with much flexibility of mind. So notice that Darwin doesn't have a flexibility of mind. No. But he's but he's asking others to. Let's keep reading. And who have already begun to doubt on the immutability of species. Uh, where was I? May be influenced by this volume. But I look with confidence to the future, to young and rising naturalists who will be able to view both sides of the question with impartiality. Oh, <laughs> so it's he's not he's very impartial. But right. again, whoever is led to believe that species are mutable, changeable, will do good service by conscientiously expressing his conviction. For only thus can the load of prejudice by which this subject is overwhelmed be removed. <laughs> so again, yeah. he's, he, he's a horse talking out of two sides of his mouth. He is not uh, open-minded at all. Well, no. But, he, but he's telling everybody they need to be in order to accept his theory. That's right. Mm -hmm. So those are background. Now, this is the last thing he says in his book. Okay. And this is when you talk about time and old earth and where it goes, and we're kind of going to make a connection here. You can see the difference that this time theory makes. Mm -hmm. This is the last, last two sentences of his book. Thus from the war of nature, from famine and death, the most exalted object which we are capable of conceiving, namely the production of the higher animals directly follows. Famine and death is exalted. What does the proverb say? The wicked man loves death yeah. or it's something close to that, right? Like yeah. This is the last sentence. There is grandeur in this view of life. There's grandeur in the view of death and famine yeah. producing, quote, higher animals. Yeah. Okay. With its several powers having been originally breathed into a few forms or into one, and that whilst this planet has gone cycling on according to the fixed law of gravity from so simple a beginning, endless forms most beautiful and most wonderful have been and are being evolved. Through what? Death and famine. Yeah. Okay. So I wanted to read that quote because that's all based on old earth, death producing things, which is exactly the opposite of what God said. It's a young earth that he created perfect. And then death came into the world. That's right. So that is the quote when people, and I've heard this, when people say that, you know, Darwin was Hitler's favorite author and Hitler was just carrying out what Darwin spoke on. Now you know exactly what that means. It mm -hmm. means that through death and famine, you can create higher animals. Well, real quickly, just apply that to humanity. How do you create well, I mean, higher humans? Well, that's also, that's also what the Great Reset is about currently. Mm -hmm. Same thing. And, and, and Curtis, that's exactly the connection I wanted to make. Oh, okay. This, this foundation of a young earth versus old earth mm -hmm. that's how foundational it is it's yes. not just a doctrine that's in the bible that you either reject or don't look into that's it right. matters because it's all going to come to either death or life that's right 
And so that's, again, the, I, <laughs> it's like God is working because that's exactly the conclusion I wanted to have, is that yeah. that's why old earth versus young earth matters. Absolutely correct. Mm-hmm. Couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. So, Curtis, we got it just under an hour, and that was fun. And then to next time, we'll talk about something else. It's going to be Good fun. discussion. Good discussion. And uh, uh, forgive my sarcasm and, and, <laughs> and crazy wit. Sorry about that. But uh, uh, I'm, I'm leaning towards specializing in doesn't matter. Uh, we're science. <laughs> right. I mean, listen, let, let's face it. Uh, none, none of our most prominent scientists are uh, fuming out anything that does matter. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not using science, are they? It's political uh, agenda these days, yep. And that's why it's going to be called doesn't matter. It doesn't have any effect on me whatsoever. But anyway, great discussion tonight. Uh, some really uh, poignant thoughts. And if you've been listening, I'm sure that you that there may have been some points in time during this last hour that that you may have had a an aha moment, and if you did, congratulations. That's part praise, of the reason. Praise God. Yeah. <laughs> praise God. Yeah. Yes, that's the big reason we do these podcasts. So, and Lucas, we appreciate all the hard work that goes into into getting these things ready, buddy. I really appreciate you, man. Thank you. Mm-hmm. That's enjoyable. I'm. It's fun. <laughs> it is yeah. fun, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so I, at this point, I, I know we're getting ready to wrap up, but I want to rem- remind our listeners that uh, this coming Tuesday, uh, we're going to be online again with another segment uh, with Dr. J.B. Hickson of Plum Creek Chapel in Sedalia, Colorado. He's with us every Tuesday. And uh, I happen to know what we're going to be talking about already, and I'm going to give you a little teaser. Uh, I think we're going to be talking about some of the main reasons that Christianity and wokeism will never, ever walk hand in hand. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, tune in Tuesday morning. You'll get plenty of it from one of the best in the business. I'll tell you, Uh, I love that guy. And he's, uh, he's right on the money. I, uh, I'm glad we have him on our team. Mm-hmm. Me too. And I'm glad we got you and Pastor Dick on our team too, man. So, uh, listen, thanks again, Lucas, for this hour. I appreciate it. I know our listeners do. And uh, you know when we're going to be on next, folks. So don't miss it. We'll be here. We will be here to do it. And I'm sure you'll be here to listen. Uh, so with that being said, Uh, This is the Christian Underground News Network signing off until Tuesday afternoon at 3 p.m. Until then, may God bless and keep you, and we will see you then. Take care.